Welcome to the Fort Lauderdale Primary Purpose Big Book Study Groups Thursday Night Alcoholics and God Speaker Step Series. Let's have our joke now. I was at my Tuesday men's stag meeting celebrating my AA birthday with my wife recently. While we were waiting for the cake to be brought out, I turned to her and I said, Honey, did you ever think in your wildest dreams you'd be standing here with me helping me celebrate 48 years of sobriety? She turned to me and said, Bruce, let me tell you something. You're not in my wildest dreams. I'm a recovered alcoholic, and my name is Robert. <laughs> Thanks for joining us tonight. In a minute, we're going to start our two-minute meditation. So please take a moment to get situated. Please turn off all devices that will make noise that might or will distract others. Take this time to get connected to God. Let the craziness of the day drift away and ask God to help you stay focused on the step study tonight. Is everybody ready? If so, let's let this start the meditation.
now we're going to say the Pogolite prayer. God, let your love shine through me like a fog light so those who are lost, sick, and dying can find your love through me. There is a solution from the big book, page 17. The tremendous fact for every one of us is that, is that we have discovered a common solution. We have found a way out on which we are absolutely agree and upon which we can join in brotherly and harmonious action. This is the great news that this book carries to those who suffer from alcoholism. I have asked Sal to read Appendix 2, Spiritual Experience. We read this because the main purpose of the 12 steps is to have one. So it is kind of important to know what one is. The term spiritual experience is spiritual awakening. Are you using in this book? Which upon careful reading shows that the personality change sufficient to bring about recovery from alcoholism has manifested itself among us in many different forms. Yet it is true that our first printing gave many readers the impression that these personality changes or religious experiences must be in the nature of sudden and spectacular upheavals. Happily for everyone, this conclusion is erroneous. In the first few chapters, a number of sudden revolutionary changes are described. Though it was not our intention to create such an impression, many alcoholics have nevertheless concluded that in order to recover, they must acquire an immediate overwhelming God consciousness, followed at once by vast change in feeling and outlook. Among a rapidly growing membership of 1,000 alcoholics, such transformations, though frequent, are by no means the rule. Most of our experiences are that the psychologist William James called educational variety, can't say that word at will, because they develop slowly over a period of time. Quite often, friends of the newcomer are aware of the difference long before himself. He finally realized that he has undergone a profound altercation in his reaction to life, that such change could hardly have been brought out about himself alone. What often takes place in a few months could seldom have been accomplished by years of self-discipline. With few exceptions, our members find that they have tapped an unsuspected inner resource, which they presently identify with their own conception of a power greater than themselves. Most of us think that this awareness of a power greater than ourselves is the essential of spiritual experience, or more religious members call it God consciousness. Most emphatically wish to say that any alcoholic capable of honestly facing his problems in the light of our experience can recover, provided he does not close his mind to all spiritual concepts. He can only be defeated by an attitude of intolerance or belligerent denial. We find that no one needed to have difficulty with spirituality of the program. Willingness, honesty, and open-mindedness are essentials of recovery, but these are indispensable. There is a principle which bar against all information, which is proof against all arguments, and which cannot fail to keep a man of everlasting ignorance. That principle is contempt prior to his investigation. Herbert Spencer, Alcoholics Anonymous, page 56, 68. Please refrain from disturbing others by talking or constantly getting up or down. Uh, this is a tech-free meeting, so set your phones on airplane or meeting mode or just turn them off. Um, I have the honor of introducing the speaker again. Um, this is our sixth session, and I am excited to hear what God's going to speak for. Bobby, come please. Mike, Mike, <laughs> no pun intended. It's hot. You guys usually freeze this place out on the one day I bring my sweater. I'm sweating up here. 
Um, hi, everybody. I'm Bobby, and I'm an alcoholic. And I get to come out here every Thursday and share my experience, strength, and hope with you in regards to the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. And for that, I'll be forever grateful because Alcoholics Anonymous gave me a life worth living. I don't know if you've ever heard that saying before, but legit, if you come in here, you just surrender your ways and follow somebody who came before you, you will find a life worth living. Um, and I hope that it's sooner than later because, you know, for us, people like us to drink is to die. And that's what's happening day in and day out and throughout this community. I don't know if you guys can relate to that, but my Facebook always looks like the local, um, you know, what's it called? Yes, obituary. So we need to tighten up because... I don't know why, but alcoholics are very smart and resourceful. And, you know, I think the world needs us, truthfully. All those normies out there are ruining the world. (laughs) Anyways, um, next week, before I forget, I will not be here. I'll be glamping again in in, uh, Sanibel Island. (laughs) Don't hate. I... Literally, me and my best friend were online today, and we're going to rent a double-decker, double-slide boat. It's got, like, two floors, and it's got two slides that come off of it. So fun. We did that last year. It was the best day of the week when we were in Sanibel. We're doing that again. Uh, If you've never camped before, do it. If you're like me and, like, don't like bugs and sweating, get a camper. I mean, it's that simple. In fact, I rent them, so call me after. Um, so much fun. Playing outside and watch your family bond in God's green earth, and then every single night ending it with uh, barbecued food and Pictionary with all your friends and family. Like, it doesn't get any better than that. You got to do it. So anyways, I won't be here next week. I do have a good friend of mine coming to tell her story. Okay, so please come back and listen to her. And then after her, I will be back for the last or the first two Thursdays in June. And then I'll be gone. Maybe I'll see you guys next year if they ask me back. But it's been a really great run so far. And um, we're on some important steps. I know I said before, like, if you skip this vital step, you may not overcome drinking. I've said that before, right? Well, actually, it doesn't even say that in the book until steps eight and nine. That's when it finally says, like, if you skip this vital step, you may not overcome drinking. That's a big deal. I'm like, uh-uh, no, 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 we're on eight. <laughs> we, did, we did six and seven last week. So um, that's a big deal. I do not ever want to drink ever again. Not ever, 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 ever. So if that means that I need to take a look at the wreckage of my past and clean it up and get real freaking humble, then that's what that's going to mean. Period. You know, the first three steps were just foundational steps. They were mandatory, especially step one. But I needed to be grounded, rooted, if you will, in my program so that I can take on the rest because the rest is going to be some work. Step one, two, three, I can't, he can, I'll let him. Step four is saying, I know I'm full of trash. I know that my inventory needs to be taken because I want to have a successful life, a.k.a. successful business. 
So I'm willing to root, uh, weed out what is not supposed to be there so that I can ultimately allow the sunlight of the spirit to come into my life so that he can enter and expel the problem, AKA me. I'm the problem. Drugs and alcohol were only but a symptom. And then in step five, we humbled ourselves and we shared it with another human being for multiple reasons, but for just a few main reasons was because when we admit it out loud to another person, there's a level of humility that occurs. We're no longer as sick as our secrets. Anybody can admit something to God because we already know deep down, God already knows. We don't have to speak it aloud for him to know. So how simple is that? But speaking it to another person, a closed mouth friend, a sponsor, um, you know, a clergy, whatever it is that you choose to do, speaking it out loud confirms that I have allowed this to come out. I'm humbling myself to this degree, bringing me to my right size. But also when you share it with another person, you may receive counsel. You may receive guidance on how to overcome something. Maybe you'll feel comfort in the idea that the person you're sharing it with has also experienced something similar. You are no longer alone in this dark world of secrets. I mean, we hear it all the time. You're only as sick as your secrets. I don't even know if they say that anymore. I haven't heard it in a while. But I'm sharing that with you today. Why are we only as sick as our secrets? Because secrets are like a seed of poison. And if planted in the core of our spirit, will grow in and through us at rapid speeds. Unfortunately for us, when that grows and it has not been shared or eliminated or relieved, irritability, restlessness, discontentment returns again. And we begin to seek out the comfort and ease that we know a drink or a drug will bring us. We know it. Why? Because it's true. It's a fact. Alcohol and drugs will bring us comfort and ease. That's not the problem. The problem is, is that it only bring us comfort and ease for a short period of time. Because we grow tolerant to it really quickly. And then it becomes a full-time job as opposed to a relief. And then after a period of time, it starts to cause more problems than relief pain. Starts to create more pain, in fact. So we share that. Six and seven, what did we talk about? All about defects of character, shortcomings, maladjustments, derelictions, wrongs. You can name it however you want to. I gave it to you, I think, in a pretty clear explanation of the seven deadly sins. Pride, anger, greed, gluttony, lust, envy, and sloth. That's what we talked about last week. And I brought all of the defects of character right back into one of the sins again because that's what it is at the end of the day. And guess what? Nobody here is exempt from them. We all live with them, different varieties. Not one is worse than the other, although society likes to put a ruler on that. The point is is that we we become willing to say they're here, I'm ready to do something about it, but I know that I cannot do it without humbly asking him the ultimate authority, the one, the loving God, heavenly father. He's the only one who could help me overcome this, this thing that's blocking me from growing and being a better person. And when we start to do that, we start to open up new doors of opportunities to grow. And as we're growing through these opportunities, what we see is our road becomes a little bit more and more and more narrow. 
When it's this wide, we could do whatever we want, whenever we want, and feel no consequences from it. We don't have a guiding spirit leading our way. We are left with our own devices. But the longer you stay sober and the more that you surrender your will to God, it's going to start looking like this. And this is a good thing. But what does this feel like sometimes? It doesn't feel all that great. Sometimes we just want to let loose, do what we want, be with who we want, whenever we want, how we want to do it. But now we've got this, the sunlight of the spirit in the pit of our stomach, giving us guidance, giving us direction, allowing us to know which road to take. You know, people outside of the you know, spiritual community will say that, you know, God or the universe or whatever it is that works for you gave you two brains. This one to think with, but this one to guide you with your feelings. And I believe that God works very much like that. He gave me consciousness in the pit of my stomach. That was what six and seven was all about. And the highlight on seven was clear and simple. It says, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings, AKA humbly asked him to remove our sins. And guess what? He's not going to remove the ones that you want to be removed. You could be like, well, I'm really getting annoyed at this freaking gluttony because I'm overweight, not feeling myself anymore. I want it to be gone. But he might be like, nah, I want you to work on your pride a little bit more. Or I want you to work on this and this a little bit more because ultimately at the end of the day, he knows exactly what you need. He knows everything that you need before you need it. And he knows exactly how to speak to you because his idea of your love language is clear, crystal clear. We are so wrapped up in lies that we can't even see what it is that we need and want in life. God is so good that he knows your heart when you don't even know your heart. That's something and somebody I want in my life. Somebody who wants the absolute best for me, but more importantly, knows what's best for me like a hundred percent solid, no renig. That's it. He knows. So now we're here and we're growing and guess what? That is going to be a, a forever activity forever. What used to work for you last year is not going to work for you anymore. What used to be glaring and defective in your life two years ago, one year ago, six months ago, last month, might have been completely removed. God might have just said, gone. You don't even think about it no more. How about that? But as soon as that happens, another one pops up. Now you got something else to work on. I was told my sponsor, you could take this if you want to, if it makes you feel good. I love it. He said, you're not getting well anytime soon. Which basically means to me is that there's always going to be work to be done. And in my experience, it is so true. Sometimes I question myself, are you sicker now than you were when you were five years sober? Like, damn. Is that what's going on? I don't think so. I think I'm definitely more mature emotionally, um, mentally, spiritually. I'm more mature, but I'm a lot more aware my awareness is right here in the forefront of my mind. I have a consciousness that I've never had before. 
And I know what it feels like to have the love of God present in your life. It's freaking phenomenal. It's better than any high that I've ever chased in my entire addiction. And now that I have it, I never want it to go away. But there's like a double-edged sword there because now that I know, I can't unknow. Meaning, now that I know, I could no longer plead ignorant. Doesn't mean I'm perfect. Doesn't mean I don't have thoughts of living other ways. It just means that I know just for today, in this moment, right here, what is not God's will. I can't always say what is his will, but I could pretty much clearly tell you what his will is not. Now that I've gotten to this place with him, I'm so, so happy. I feel joy, which is not circumstantial. Joy is when you're feeling happiness and clarity and understanding and comfort in the midst of chaos. I want more. And this is when Alcoholics Anonymous says, if you want more, you're going to do more. You made a list of your inventory and the the areas that were blocking you off from the sunlight of the spirit more than anything in the world, which was resentments, fears, and your sexual conduct, right? Now I want you to make a different type of a list. This list is going to be in regards to all the people that you have harmed, whether it be financially, emotionally, physically, mentally, you've caused harm in one way, shape, or form. They may or may not have been on your fourth step inventory, but we're going to start there, comb through that list, clear it out, and then we're going to be adding other things. What do I mean by starting there? So um, on the resentment column in the four step inventory, you guys were with me. If not, I definitely, definitely recommend going into the book and reading or watching this, listening to this podcast a few weeks ago. But it was who we had a resentment with. That was a refeeling of negative feelings, uh, annoyance, anger, hurt, etc. Then it was why we had those feelings, like what happened to make us feel this way. And then it was what part of self was affected, pride, ambition, security, sex, physical, I mean, sex or personal relationships, pocketbook. And then it was what part did you play? Okay. So this is my belief. You guys could take it or leave it. You could ask your sponsor. You're going to take everybody on that list in the first column that you have a resentment with, and you're going to place them on the new list called harms to others. You're going to put them there. And what exactly did you cause? What harm did you cause? Well, it's right there in the part that you played. Boom. You already got them on a paper. Boom. Done. Will there be things that need to be added? Probably, maybe if they weren't in connection with your resentment, like uh, maybe the fact that you stole your mom's diamond necklace. Or you, you know, emptied out her bank account and acted like your friend robbed the house. You know, I know maybe those things weren't tied into some of the resentments you have. So you're going to add those things in there. And now that you've had that, now you're going to skip over to your sexual conduct page. 
everybody on the first column. You're going to take them, relocate them into your harms to others. What did you do? You wrote it in there already. This is what I did to cause the problem. Now we're going to take a look at things that are unrelated to your fourth step inventory. People that you had harmed, whether you remember their names, whether you remember what they look like, if you can't even vaguely remember what gender they were, I want it on a piece of paper. If it's any type of a creditor, whether it was that Sears card that everybody used to get back in the 90s when Tommy Hilfiger was this shit, and we used to max the card out and never be thinking about paying them, put it on. You could be like, that store don't even exist anymore. I don't care. Put it on there. If it's Walmart, because you were, you were um, hoarding receipts out in the parking lot and like going in the corner and pulling out all the cash ones and then going in the store and then stealing and getting up to the return table, put them on there. If it was at Publix or Target and you were doing the, you got $500 cash in your pocket, but you're stealing everything. You're like pretending to ding, ding, putting it all in the bag. Ring up a pack of gum, throw all the other stuff in the bag. Put it on there. If you were panhandling and anytime somebody pulled out some money and you jacked it right out of their hand at the corner of Atlantic and Powerline, put it on there. If it was anybody from a previous job or back in the day when you were in school that you were unkind to, you, you hurt them physically, you stole from them, you cheated on them, you, you had sex with your best friend's people, or even just an acquaintance person, or just some stranger's spouse, put it on there. Just put it on there, you don't know. Do you owe child support or alimony or did your, did your ex raise your kid and never even file child support on you because they're just that type of a person? Put them on there. Your kids, I don't care what you think you did. Put them on there. Same thing with all your loved ones. Put them on there. The treatment center that you went to slept with every girl on East Wing. Caused mad problems, stole their pills, slept with one of the techs, put everybody on there. The treatment center, too. Your insurance company, you were like going into detox, doing five to seven days, getting out, running, relapsing, checking back in. People pay for that shit. Put them on there. Put it on there. Medicaid fraud. You got your kid's medical Medicaid ID number. You got the doctor writing you a script for 400 Bupernex amps, syringes, and clean wipes. And you went over there and acted like you were Sally Joe. Your kid. Put it on there. Get it all out there. Because this is important, guys. If you skip this vital step, you may not overcome drinking. That's the only step that says that, by the way. That's a big deal. Put it on there. If you got a bad freaking attitude towards somebody, you're sober. You've been sober a long time. You just got a bad attitude towards them because either you think that they're arrogant or 
they just annoy you because they have high energy. I don't know what the issue is with you that you and that person put them on there today. You might be ready to do another inventory and do some cleanup. You've been in a recovery a long time. You've been dating that girl. You've been dating that guy for 10 years, but you know what you've done in the, you know, outside. Come on, let's clean it up because if you skip this vital step, you may not overcome drinking. The great thing is, is that we made a list of all people we had, um, harmed and became willing to make an amends to them all. Right now is your chance to be calm because all you're doing is making a list. That's it. If you're like super duper organized and you want to clean this list up a few times, go for it. If you like to just take three color highlighters and do this, you could do this too. This is just a suggestion for me. I now take everything and everyone, every situation that's on this list and I categorize it in three ways. Number one are going to be the people, situations, institutions that I can amend immediately. Immediately. The second one is I, I don't have the ability to make the amends immediately, but I will when the time is right. And then the third one is I am not willing or I can't, I'm not capable of ever making this amends. Couple things. Maybe that person's deceased. Maybe that was one of those people you can't remember if it was a boy, a girl, a, a man, a woman. I mean, I just said that, uh, you know, whatever. You don't know who it was, right? <laughs> well, it could be a boy and girl, a man, a woman. I guess that does make a difference. But you don't know who they are. Or maybe you still feel so slighted by that person that you're unwilling to make it. So now you've got these three things going on, three columns of these types of people. You could use three different colors, yellow, blue, green highlighter. If you don't want to rearrange all these people on a paper, it'll be real messy. First and foremost, you're going to say, God, I hear you. You said if I skip this vital step, I may not overcome drinking. If there is anybody on this paper that I am unwilling to amend, I ask for the willingness to do so. If there is anybody on this paper that I don't know where they are or how to go about it or when to go about it, I ask that you guide me. You are the ultimate authority, a loving God, a heavenly father who knows all and can do all. So I don't want to ever drink or do drugs again. Lead me. That's a simple prayer you could say over that inventory and now allow God to work magic. And what do I mean by magic? God is going to do for you exactly what you cannot do for yourself. He's going to move mountains when you weren't even expecting or asking him to. <laughs> He's going to put you in a position in life where you become willing to make the hard choices of these particular type of men's because if you don't, you can no longer grow in a certain area, which we'll talk about here in a minute. God is really freaking cool. Maybe a couple do's and don'ts with making an amends. I'm not the be all and say all. It's just my personal experience. 
Those ones that are like right there on your paper, you know that you're going to make right away. Usually it's mom, dad, it's your kids, your spouse, something like that. I want you to take caution in this. Talk to your sponsor, say a prayer, never rush in there. Like they say in the book where the guy, there's a storm, there's a tornado and he's in the cellar with his mom. And then the tornado is over and he pops his head out. He's like, Oh, looks like it's all over with tornado's gone. We're all good. Come on out. Not considering the fact that the tornado demolished everything, the house, the shed, the car, the job. We don't want to do that because actually you're going to cause more harm than good. We want to go in it with ease. One of the biggest types of amends that I've made through these whole years, you're going to hear lots of people talking about it, is called a living amends. A living amends means don't drink, don't do drugs no matter what. Quit being an asshole. Just those three things alone, your life is going to start straightening out. People want to see action. They don't want to hear words, especially your loved ones, because they've been listening to your bull crap for years, even your own children. When I got sober, my oldest was 10. My second oldest was five and my youngest was five months old. So really, the 10-year-old had heard it all. All. Here's a story, actually, about my daughter. I had been missing for, I don't know, could have been a year, give or take. And she was bouncing from her dad's to weekends at my mom's and my grandma's house and I later heard that every time she was with my mother or with my grandmother, she would always ask, have you heard from my mom? Um, Eventually, it came out that my daughter was writing letters to me all the time. She was putting them in these cute little pink envelopes, and she was putting them in a box in her bedroom. When my grandma heard that she was doing that, she asked her to bring the box to her house. They got into the car and they drove to the dope hole. And there at a flop house, I was hiding with all my windows covered, all the mirrors off the walls because I couldn't even look at my own reflection. And there was a... And that was a startling noise to somebody who'd been hiding out like that. So I peek out the window and it's my freaking little girl standing there. It's the worst thing you can see when you're living like that. I'd rather see a whole SWAT team on the other side of the door. I kid you not. I reluctantly opened the door. She handed me this box with tears in her eyes and she said, I thought you were in heaven and nobody would tell me. I've been writing these to you. So I gave her a hug and she left. I hung on to those for many weeks. Of course, I wouldn't dare open one of them because it was so painful. So you tell me what I think like a sorry would be to that little girl when I got sober.
She had heard me say sorry a thousand times. I would show up and go missing for weeks, months, or even years. My kid often thought that I was dead. She lived through an immense amount of abandonment and trauma growing up. The last thing my daughter needs to hear is I'm sorry. What she needs is, hey, I'm going to see you on Friday at 5 o'clock. And then getting there at 4 frickin' 45. Hey, daddy's going to let you sleep over for the first time this weekend. We're going to order pizza and we're going to watch a movie. And damn right, we're ordering pizza and watching any movie of her choice. Not parenting out of guilt, but having, for the first time in my life, integrity with my child. I'm going to be at this school play at this time. Honey, I can't make that. I have a work commitment. I do apologize, but I'll make it up to you. And then making it up to her. It's been a long healing road with that child. She's going to be 26 years old this year. She's a graduate of FSU, and she's got her master's in social work, and she's actually going back for her master's in business. She's been in classes since January. She's a smart, smart, independent, beautiful woman, but she's got a lot, a lot of habits, hang-ups, and hurts because of her mom. But what do you do about it? You just got to keep showing up the best you can, stay sober, and allow God to do the rest. Is there going to be a conversation with a loved one like that where there is some type of an amends, admitting my wrongs? Of course. And with a 10-year-old, it's going to happen a little bit later in life. With my mom and my grandma, admitting my wrongs. Now that I've been sober for a period of time and I have been able to see clearly I cannot believe what I've put you guys through. It must have been painful and scary, and you're probably pissed. I don't know what tomorrow brings. I do know I want to stay sober one day at a time. If I could do that for the rest of my life, I'll be so grateful. But the word sorry should never come out of my mouth. How am I going to amend it after that conversation? By staying sober, remaining accountable, And this is just my experience. Everybody's got different relationships with their parents. My mother doesn't know anything, anything negative about my life for 15 and a half years. When I go through hard times and struggles, I'm a grown-ass adult. I go through them either with my husband or with my support group. My mother does not need to know anything. Actually, she didn't know I was having a hysterectomy until the night before I was having a hysterectomy (laughs) because my husband told her. And she showed up to the hospital. Why didn't you tell me you were having a hysterectomy? I'm like, I'm fine. We're good. But thanks for coming. (laughs) Now, what is God going to do for you that you couldn't do for yourself? Is it not your responsibility to suit up and show up and to be sober and to do these things for your loved ones where you had caused harm? Of course But there's going to come time where you didn't do anything at all, but stop living that life and start living this life. That's like the best thing you did for God to give you this. So here's what I'm talking about. So a couple of things, two stories, because we're going to be done here, but these are very important stories. Number one, a girl I didn't know, never seen her before. 
Um, I didn't know the people she hung out with. I was 20 years old. I used to go to lots of clubs and lots of parties. And the neighborhood I grew up with, you drank and you fought. I don't know if you guys are from this area. That's what we did. We fought every weekend or any day, actually, as long as we were out of our home. We were fighting. So this one friend of mine, we were notorious for fighting and, and brutally unfair. We just fought. We didn't care if we jumped people, hit people from behind, bottles. I mean, the whole nine. So I was invited to a party at my job. And I said to her, you're come and hang out with me tonight because we're going to go to the club after this. She said, okay, great. I said, but listen, no fighting. None whatsoever. She said, yeah, of course. So we're there and we're having a good time. I mean, we were having a really good time. And I'm very social. I'm social. Here in sobriety, I'm social out there. So there I am socializing. I'm making best friends out of this whole entire party. I don't know anybody there. And here I am. I'm at the front door. I'm like a greeter now. I'm like, hey, welcome to the party. Come on in. So this girl walks up with what appeared to be her best friend next to her and two big-ass dudes. They walk in, and I'm like, hey, welcome to the party. She's like, yeah. I'm like, what's your name? My name's Bobby. And she's like, my name's Tuffy. And I'm like, I look at my friend. I'm like, oh, God, really? That's your name? Well, your mom must love you. And so her boyfriend says, my name is Bebop. I said, Tuffy and Bebop. I'm like, this is a funny story, guys. So (laughs) over here, you guys might see this, what looks like a jail tattoo. This was actually a trailer park tattoo when I was 11 years old. (laughs) Guess what it says? It says Bebop. And the reason why it says Bebop is because when I was 11 years old, that was my tag name because I was a gangster white trash trailer park girl. So I said, your name is Bebop? That's so weird. Your name's Tuffy and you're Bebop? That's so interesting. But my name was Bebop growing up. They weren't impressed. But I showed them my tattoo and I let them pass. And I rolled my eyes at them when they passed to my friend. I'm like, what a dumbass. So we're going on, having a good time. Later on, I'm coming out of the bathroom. and I look at the back patio, sliding glass door. I see my best friend and Tuffy face to face. And I'm like, oh, it's going down. So I walk out, I grab a beer bottle and I smash her in the back of the head. No questions asked. Everybody starts fighting. Me and Bestie, we run, jump a fence, get down to the gas station on banks and we call for help. Hey, come pick us up. We got, we left this party, yada, yada, yada. Meanwhile, these guys, big dudes are looking for us through the whole neighborhood. It's a silly story, but trust me, it's getting somewhere. This is like not abnormal when I was 20. I mean, I'm sure you guys all relate to this, right? I hope so. Anyways, we end up going to the club. I don't even think about this girl ever again. I heard through the grapevine that they were like searching me out. They were going to find me. They were going to beat me up. They were going to catch me slipping. So whatever. Years go by. I have no idea who this girl is. I only remember the girl's name was Tuffy. That's it. And the boyfriend's name was Bebop. So here we are now, 10 years later, I'm sober. I'm living at a halfway house in Pompano Beach. I'm fighting to get custody of my third child back. And I'm really feeling good for the first time in my life. I'm like, man, I I had hope. I really felt like I could overcome this beast. 
I have a feeling I might even get my kids back. The lady who ran the halfway house would show up to court for me every single month. I had to get hair follicle tests weekly, weekly. Do you guys know what that means to a girl? Like a lot of bald spots. Okay. It was bad. You know, right. And they don't take like a couple strands. They take like a whole patch every time. So anyways, and they only had to do that with me because I had been messed up with the system for very many years with my children. Doing all these things. One week, one month I have to go to court and the owner of the halfway house can't go. She sends her daughter. Great woman. She's not in recovery. She got dressed real nice. She went in there, spit some fire to the judge. They were impressed. They were like, listen, you know, miss so-and-so, I'm very impressed with how far you've come in your journey. You know, we're, we're looking to actually reunify you as quickly as possible. I was like, whoa, crazy. I can't believe it. I left. I think this girl, a couple of weeks go by. I'm just, you know, finishing up my fourth step. I'm reading it to, or my eighth step. I'm reading it to my sponsor, yada, yada, yada. I'm at the 101 Club greeting. Welcome to the 101 Club. Come on in. There's hot coffee over there. Welcome to the 101 Club. How you doing? Good, good evening. Welcome to my home group. So the girl, the daughter that went to court with me last week, she comes and sits down at the, the bench. She's waiting for her mother to do, they're doing rent exchange. She's not in recovery, so she's just there doing business. And I'm like, hey, how you doing, girl? And she's like, I'm good, I'm good. And she's like, what is that on your ankle? I said, oh, oh yeah, it's just a little tattoo I got when I was a kid in the trailer park. She said, what does it say? I said, bebop. She goes, get out of here. I said, yeah. They called you Bebop when you were a kid? Yeah. <sighs> Ain't that some shit? She says, I have a funny story to tell you. I don't know, a decade ago, I showed up at a party with my boyfriend, and some girl hit me in the back of the head with a bottle. I had to get stitches all the way from here, all the way back to the back of my head. I had to get my hair shaved. She was also a girl looked just like you that had a tattoo on her ankle that said Bebop. And my heart dropped. I was like stone cold in a freeze. I'm like, holy crap. Are you kidding me? You're toughy? <laughs> and she says, actually, that was my tag name. I go, are you serious? She goes, yeah. I go, I thought you were just being a bitch. She's like, no, like that, that, and long story short, she's like, come in here. She grabbed my hand, pulled me all the way into the 101 club and says, mom, mom, mind you, the lady who runs the halfway house that I'm living in, mom, mom, come here. She's like, this is bebop. This is bebop. They hit you the head all of years ago. She's like, are you kidding me? Boy, you're lucky you are who you are today. Long story short, I said, holy crap, man. I said, listen. You have no idea. You're on my inventory for my eighth step, and it says girl from a party. How weird is that? All you have to do is put it down and allow God to do the work for you. If it needs to be amended, he's going to make it happen. What are the odds that the very same girl that helped me get back custody of my child was the girl that said the girl at the party on my eighth step inventory? Freaking nuts. And we would have never put that together if it wasn't for the shitty-ass tattoo on my ankle. <laughs> it's nuts. So, another story. 
about how God works. We hear how God works when we're unsure of how anything could possibly happen. Let me tell you how God works when you're like, that's too big of a task for me to tackle. I'm so afraid of that. That $100,000, yada, yada, yada. That thing is too big of a barrier. I'm not strong enough. I'm not wise enough. I'm not smart enough to do it. Let's see how God works in this area. So I get a job. No, no. I want to get a job at this place called Susan B. Anthony Recovery Center for Women and Children. I didn't even want a job. I was already, I was already comfortable at a job, but God had other plans for me. Some woman called me and said, hey, we got a job for you. Over here, Susan B. Anthony, we heard you're doing great things. Would you be interested in coming? I'm like, you guys are like 40 miles away from my house. I drive like a 99 Honda with 300,000 miles on it. I don't know if I could do that. But I'll come down there and do an interview. So I did an interview. They hired me on the spot. I was like, okay, great. But you have to go do a level two background screening, get your fingers printed and stuff. I was like, okay. I don't really know what that entails. I'm not a murderer. I'll go do it. So I go and get my level two background screening, thinking for sure everything's fine. Well, a couple weeks later, I'm waiting for them to call. The fingerprint people called me, and they're like, hey, uh, listen, we got some bad news. Nothing you can't handle, but there's some bad news. I'm like, what is it? She said, you have 10, 10-year-old felony charges in another county. I'm like, what? I'm three and a half years sober. No idea. I'm like, get out of here. She's like, no, West Palm Beach, they got you for, um, I forget what it's called, uh, something, eluding something, an innkeeper. I was doing dining dashing all over town. I was freaking hungry. (laughs) But I would rack up bills. I don't even know why people would feed a girl that looked like me. But they did. I'm talking about top of the menu, champagne, you name it. I'd eat, I'd drink, I'd get wasted, I'd go to the bathroom and dip. Well, they caught me at a ton of restaurants. They had um, so many eyewitnesses to point me from a lineup. So apparently I got these charges just hanging out, didn't even know they existed. I'm like, get out of town. I'm like, well, what do you do? They're like, you got to turn yourself in. I'm like, turn myself in? I got a freaking kid. I got a job. I got this new job. God told me in my heart that if I don't overcome this now, I'm going to have to overcome it later in life, and it's going to be a bigger challenge. And I'm like, son of a... So I call up a friend, AA. She's a lawyer. She's a criminal lawyer. She says, I'll meet you at the courthouse. Let's go see what we could do, yada, yada, yada. Anyways, I went to the courthouse, and I surrendered to the court, and the judge was very impressed with my story, and he um, turned everything into a misdemeanor, withheld adjudication, and let me leave with a big fat fine. I was like, nice. So here I was. Now I have a financial debt. By the way, fingerprint place doesn't release you until you're completely cleared up in that area too. So I had to do it. And boom, I got a job. It was great. I was there. I was, I was doing God's work right there at that center for four years. It was amazing. 
Um, I finally like, you know, worked long enough here in early recovery where it was time for me to go file my taxes. I was excited. I got custody of my youngest kid back. I was going to get that tax credit. You know, back then it was like $1,500. I was going to be balling. (laughs) I couldn't wait. I went up to Liberty Tax on Atlantic and Fed and I, I filed my taxes. I was like, all right. Can't wait to get that big old chunk of money. Days went by, weeks went by, and I'm like, hmm, I like fast track that money. Where is it at? I get this little postcard in the mail from IRS. Something along the lines of, we're really sorry we deviated your money. Apparently you owe the IRS X amount of money. And I'm like, son of a bitch. Are you serious? And then I went into the victim of, why me? I have a kid. Don't they know I need $1,500? My car needs this and I need... I was like, all right, fine. So I waited a whole nother year, filed my taxes again. And I was like, woohoo, I'm going to get that tax income. Now it's 1700. I'm going to be balling. Waited weeks go by. I get a little postcard in the mail. This time it says, Hey, sorry, we've deviated your check because apparently you owe $15,000 in child support. I was like, excuse me, you're going to take my money. I have another child, too, I need to provide for. They said, yeah, in fact, we're going to be taking your money for a long time, ma'am. Until <laughs> this $15,000 is paid. Mind you, all this is going on, and I- I'm trying to get a driver's license and a car before that. And what happens is you try to go do something. You can't do it anymore because you're, like, stuck here with this this harm you cause, and you can't go any further unless you amend it. I couldn't get a driver's license until I straightened out child support. I couldn't get a car until I paid back the, the um, whatever it is that I had from a car accident. Finally got that all together. I couldn't get a job unless I turned myself into the courts. Finally, I get a job, and they're like, we want to help you get a degree, so go, go get yourself a degree. And I went to the college, and I'm like, hey, you guys are so happy to see me, I'm sure. And they're like, yeah, we won't help you until you pay all the money you owe us. You owe us $5,000 to the government. So I paid that off, and then I was like, all right, here, I'm here again. I'm ready to do school. And actually, you owe the college itself money, too. What? All right, fine, I'll do that. Pay it off. I get a degree. God has a funny way of stopping you in your tracks. And here's the thing. If God shows up, now it's time to participate with him. It's not to say, oh, this is an easy walk, so it must not be God's plan. No, that's not the case. In fact, this is God's plan. He's here with you. Let's tango. You ready? Let's do it. It's continued to be that way for me over and over and over and over again until I had no debt. I didn't know a penny in child support, by the way. I paid all my debt off the year she turned 18. And then I began to get child, um, you know, I started to get taxes. But then I started making so much money, it didn't fucking matter. (laughs) It's so stupid. You know, finally you got a 750 credit score. You're buying houses, you're buying cars, you're buying this, you're buying that. And, uh, then different types of amends start to happen. I know it's time because Mike got off his chair. So I got so many stories to go on and on and on about this thing called life. But my final point is this. If you don't, if you want to overcome drinking, you will not skip this step in any way, shape or form. 
period. Thank you. Let's thank Bobby again. And now we're going to have Noah with the Secretary's report. Good evening. My name is Noah, and I'm an alcoholic. I am your recovered alcoholic secretary in keeping with the seventh tradition, which states that every group shall be fully self-supporting, denying outside contributions. The baskets are now going around. We have QR codes, too, for contributions. Um, I have asked Tyler to come up and read the recovered statement. Uh, we read this notice to explain why many people in this group identify as recovered rather than recovering and what it exactly means to be a recovered alcoholic. Tyler and I'm an alcoholic. Bobby, thank you for that message. It was awesome. This is recovered. We are not cured of alcoholism. Recovered but not cured. That presents a conflict to some alcoholics. If we were cured, we would be able to drink responsibly. No, we are not cured. The allergic reaction to alcohol will remain with us for our lifetime. But we have been restored to sanity. That was the problem. The main problem of the alcoholic centers in his mind rather than in the body. Page 23, we are now sane where alcohol is concerned. Consequently, we have recovered. Nineteen forty style big book sponsorship from the forward to the second edition, Alcoholics Anonymous. Of alcoholics who came to AA and really tried, 50% got sober at once and remained that way. 25% sobered up after some relapses, and among the remainder, those who stayed on with AA showed improvement. What we've seen, felt, come to believe, and experience is that God has not changed over time, and neither should the sacred approach, to, sacred approach back to his loving arms. The statistics above suggest a 75% success rate. Ask anyone... Oh, <laughs> that's for me. And does anyone here need... <laughs> does anyone here need a sponsor? Please raise your hand. Awesome. If you guys want to meet at the front of the room near the piano, someone at the end of the meeting will come and meet you. Um, can we have a show of hands for those who are recovered? Recovered alcoholics? Ooh, nice. Um... Let's go to the uh, announcements. Um, so please join us Monday nights, the big book study meeting, where the big book come, where the book comes to, to life. Fellowship is at six thirty, and the big book study starts at seven fifteen. We have CDs, mugs, large print, big books, the little red book, and big book dictionaries for sale. We meet every Thursday starting promptly at 7.15. And we ask that you be courteous and ready to begin at the, the sound of the bells. See you next week. Oh. Wait. Oh, okay. So can we say this is the first time for Noah? Hello. Um, this is... <laughs> there is a second page. Okay. <laughs> I skipped a little bit, but we're going to get this. Okay, so the intergroup. Uh, this is where you can buy. 
Whoops. This is where you can buy AA-related literature. Let's actually do the secretary's report. Um, the AA-related literature and medallions. Inner group is also responsible for creating our where and when and scheduling the AA hotline. Stop by and visit them. Next slide. Okay, so the Broward County Institutions Committee is responsible for bringing meetings into places where people like us uh, can't get out to AA meetings, such as jails, detoxes, and rehabs. They meet monthly to organize their meetings um, at the 12-step house. Um, do we have any members of BCIC here tonight? Please stand up. Okay. Um, doo -doo -doo -doo. Next slide. So here are some upcoming uh, service opportunities. Um, there are flyers in the back of the room. Next. Um, okay. Uh, this is the grapevine. I can't see. The, oh. Okay. The grapevine magazine subscription. Sorry, I can't read very well from here. Um, this is the uh, Bull in the China Shop Corral, October 27th through the 29th, 2023, the second annual. Um, Victor e, this is the Victor E. Group Annual Picnic, Sunday, May 21st, this weekend, uh, 2023. And then, this is what I skipped to, but please come and join us Monday nights, the big book study meeting, where the book comes to life. It's really one of my, it's my home group. It's probably one of the best meetings I attend, I think. Um, by far. Um, fellowship is at 6.30. Big Books starts at 7.15. Um, again, CDs, mugs, large print big books, little red books, and the big book dictionaries for sale. See you next week, everybody. <laughs> we have tonight's session and all our po past speaker podcasts online for free at Alcoholics and God. Um, I'd like to invite everyone to our Monday night big book study and to those who wish to thank tonight's speaker, please line up down the center aisle. Let's close with the Lord's prayer. Who woke us up this morning? Our father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our
possessions that I have amount to nothing at all. Shining through, but 
Chase, here's that song you've been asking me for for a million years. I finally pulled it out the pulled it out the corners of my mind, and um, here you go. See the 
the light Count my blessings when I go to sleep at night And I dream now song is. God bless. I love you, Mike Chase. Bye. I think you know this one, don't you?
the tape. Got one man that just wants to 